Hello, everyone. I'm Chase Jarvis. Welcome to another episode of my show, Chase Jarvis Live, here on Creative Live. This is where I sit down with the world's top creatives, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, and I unpack actionable and valuable insights that aim to help you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and in life. I freaking love this show. I'm sitting here like it's Monday morning. I'm recording this intro. I am pumped. Could not be happier to be here because my guest today is someone that I know you love. This person is Austin Cleon. And if you don't know Austin, be prepared to meet awesomeness. And if you do know Austin right now, the voice inside your head is like, yes, I can't wait. I love Austin. Austin is just likable. He's just, he's like, he's, He's so likable. <laughs> he calls himself a writer who draws, but what he really is is an amazing author, an amazing artist, and just a generally warm. Um, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna. I'm gonna call. Like I say, I'm, he's cuddly. He's cuddly. Would you? I'm looking at Nasa right now. Who helped me with this? Yeah, it's he's cuddly, right? Yeah, he's cuddly. He is uh, an amazing human. His work has been featured all over the place: NPR, Morning Edition, uh, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, PBS. He is the writer and author of three books that I want you to know about. One is called Newspaper Blackout. You've seen those poems where they clip out newspapers and they black out everything, and the words that are left make this amazing poem. Yeah, that's him. Um, another book that I refer to all of the time, it is one of my most gifted books. It's called Steal Like an Artist. And then the follow-up to that book, which is also one of my perennial gifts to others, is called Show Your Work. It speaks directly to the creative in all of us. And if you're sitting there wondering why you're not um, where you want to be in your career, I would say it was because you haven't shown your work enough. Uh, not only is he the maker of all those things and a wonderful family, but he's also, I think, one of the most insightful and has one of the most meaningful voices around what it means to exercise daily creativity. We talk about creative genius in this episode, the fact that our culture totally misunderstands that and that there's a genius in all of us. But creativity and genius, it's more than more than just skills. It's about caring. It's about finding the thing that speaks to you. It's about having a network and about living the life that you love. We also talked about morning routines. Um, he and I, we synced up on meditation um, and a handful of other things uh, that you will find interesting. I'm a little, I'm a little tired on the just general productivity hack thing. But what Austin and I talk about around productivity is, I think it, it's smart on a different axis than you've heard other folks talk about just general productivity. I do feel like there's a lot of uh, pressure to hustle. It is innate in me. You can just see how loudly and fast, fastly I'm talking right now. I'm I'm passionate about the hustle, but I think he he tweaks that a little bit in a, in a way that I admire. And you know, at the end of the day, what matters isn't how much you got done, but are you doing the right things? Are you doing things that give your life meaning? And he helps he helps us unpack a little uh, a little on that subject. We also talk about a bunch of other stuff, but those are a couple of highlights that I know you will love. And so we should get into the show, but before we do so, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest hub for online creative education. 
education in photo video, art design, music and audio, and the ability to make a living and a life in those disciplines. It's the highest quality, highly curated classes taught by the world's top experts. We're talking Pulitzer Prize winners, Oscar winners, Grammy Award winners, New York Times bestselling authors, and the best entrepreneurs of our time. Names like Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Ariana Huffington are on the platform. And you get classes taught from guys like Tim Ferriss, Lewis Howes, uh, Ramit Sethi. Again, I could list uh, a thousand other names of the top photographers, designers, musicians, the best in class. You get it. Now, right now, if you're familiar with me and my work, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. Isn't that a company that you started, Chase? Well, yes, it is. In fact, Creative Live makes this entire podcast possible. And in fact, all of my longstanding Chase Jarvis Live shows. Creative Live has millions of students around the world. More than 2 billion minutes of education have been consumed on that video platform. So, you know, that's a little bit of the sort of the what and the how behind Creative Live. But here's the why, which I think is so critical. Creative Live exists to help you live your dreams in career, hobby, and life. In short, I started Creative Live with a bunch of really committed friends because we saw a a big need in the world. We wanted to help our peers and friends and, and folks out there in the world transition to new careers, live new dreams, take the leap, if you will, into an entirely different sort of direction where you can leave that job, maybe your job with the man, and strike out on your own. I also saw my peers in the photo and design world needing to sort of up their skills and get ahead. And I saw friends who were happily working at great companies but wanted to pursue their hobby to a next level that you know, might someday parlay into a side hustle. So we built that platform. Uh, these classes at Creative Live are the most highly and authentically produced of any of the online video platforms you'll experience. The top experts, it's all shot with four to eight cameras, all in HD, beautifully presented and accessible on desktop, tablet, mobile. You know I stand for quality and that's what Creative Live uh, puts out. To that end, I have also taken it upon myself to curate a handful of my very favorite classes and mix them in with some of the top performing classes on Creative Live. And I'll bake that into a landing page called creativelive.com slash hustle just for you. This community listens to our podcast here. So you should go there and you should check that out as a special thank you for being a podcast listener. If you find a class that you love, either from the ones that I've curated or elsewhere on the site, and you want to buy it, during checkout, enter the code CHASER. That's my name plus an R, just C-H-A-S-E-R. And do that during checkout, and you'll get 25% off your order. Uh, I think that's awesome, and I hope you do too. So thanks very much for checking it out. Let me know what you think. Now, that's it for the sponsors. Uh, Now, let's get into the show. It's so good that you're here. I'm so glad to be here. There's no kids screaming. But the weird thing <laughs> like is, comfortable. We're couch. sitting here. Usually, like you came up to Seattle to film a show, but we're not actually I'd in your like hometown. To be, I wish I was in Seattle, but next time know. because you're one of my regular no. go-to inspirations. Can I pick no. your brain? Yes. No. I say I, I. Please don't. Yeah, sadly. You know. Well, it, I mean, it's funny because I mean, you're someone who I know. Like you put out so much. Yep. You put out so much. Can and we contextualize that? I put out so much content. Is that so, you... Well, no, I mean, I, I mean content, but you're also, you're showing your work, right? Yep. I mean, you're sharing what you do. You're sharing your ideas and stuff. And I think sometimes when you're so generous at putting stuff out there, uh, you know, people get the mistaken idea that you're just like, flush with time all the time. Yeah, this, this guy doesn't even work. Like, like, like how do, where well, do you think this stuff comes from? And, and I think it was uh, Derek Cybers who was saying, you know, like, I could go have coffee with you, or I could write a blog post that, like, 
a bazillion people yeah. could see, you For know? Sure. And so like at a certain point you get to this moment where you're like, what's gonna, you know, use that word scale. Yeah. Like what, what has the most impact? Yeah, yeah. What can I give that's actually gonna scale and it's gonna mean the most to the most people? The irony is that if you did if I returned all the emails and had coffees, like then I wouldn't actually be able to do the thing for which you care about me and my work. You wouldn't get so many work. emails. <laughs> for, but I, I, I would I would if I was you know this is yeah. a all right, well, I'm gonna, this is about you, this not is, about me. This Come is, on. This is us whining about our <laughs> No inter- whining. Like, There's right no away, whining in Texas. Right away, it's We're in us Texas. Whining. We can't whine. Um, we should order some barbecue at some point so that we can have some little lunch after that. But I want to talk about you. So newspaper blackout got you going. Yeah. Just so you know, that was a part of the 28 to make stuff we did on Creative oh, cool. Live. We did a newspaper blackout yeah. thing, and it was awesome. That's People awesome. loved it. And there, if you check out the hashtag 28 to make, there are a bunch of sort of ins- things that we stole from you and used as inspiration. Awesome. But your book, Newspaper Blackout, then Steal Like an Artist. Yeah. Which the last time I had you in the show, X years ago, we were talking about that book. Yeah. Huge success. I don't think Show Your Work was out. It yet. wasn't. It was yeah. not. Yeah. So like for those folks who are new, um, new to you and your work, let's why don't we start and not the Newspaper Blackout's awesome, just go there. But but it's I like really, the first album, you it know. Is. It's like Bleach or something, you know, like Nirvana. Nirvana's Bleach, yeah, you just yeah. kind of like it's it's I've weird. Heard of that album, it's kind of noisy, yeah. messy, and like uh, you know. But like you know, Steel, Steel like, like an, an artist. artist, yeah, would be that's the one that people know. And should we go back to the uh, the Picasso quote, which is I think certainly influential in that, right? Because yeah, I mean, on. you know, the funny thing is, in all the research on Steel Like an Artist, I never found any evidence that Picasso ever said Got it. that. I did, it was T.S. Eliot. Good, good artist copy, great artist steal. Yeah, I know T.S. Eliot said, you know, bad poets copy, you know, great poets steal. And the thing I love, the reason the book starts with the T.S. Eliot quote is the thing he says that's so important that everyone forgets is like, the good artist, you know, he welds his theft into a thing which is completely different. Into he, you know, he takes these things, but then he transforms it into something of his own, and and that's the like an artist part, you know, because a lot of people hear the steal part. Oh, yeah. cool, it's good for I'm to steal stuff and copy. And no, I mean, you know, the book is really about the ethos of you know, you you take things from the culture around you and you borrow these little bits and pieces, but you're like George Lucas, you know, you like, you rip off Westerns, you rip off Kurosawa, you rip off Flash Gordon, and then you make Star Wars. And Star Wars is this thing that like comes out into the culture and like really, um, you know, I mean, it changes everything, right? He's adding, so, it, it, so like, you know, Still Like an Artist was about starting out as a student, like George Lucas was. Yep. You know, you start out as a student and you, and then you pay, tribute or homage to these people who have influenced you and the way that you flatter them is not through imitation yeah. but it's through transformation you make it into your own thing i do like the idea of giving credit also i like the uh, sort of overt what's the other quote it's like uh if you steal from one person it's stealing if you steal from right. everybody it's research <laughs> right right you steal from one author it's plagiarism yeah. you steal from a hundred authors it's research right. but that's yeah. I, I i feel like most of the there, there's a lot of folks that are watching this or listening to it and they are either sort of they've they're trying to go from zero to one, yeah, or one to ten, and they're not at the ten to a hundred. Like they're not sure. There's a lot of established artists or listeners, yeah. but there's a lot of people who are trying to find the courage to get their first step. And the thought of stealing, like I remember early on in my career, like gosh, do I have an original idea? I came from sort of 
white, lower middle class, but positive, happy family. Like, do I have, I have nothing to say. What's like, what's my problem? Did, was this, you know, how did you like, why, why stealing? How did you arrive at that being your first book? Well, so I just, part of, um, part of how I got started, you know, we're at South by Southwest. So, so, so a lot of what I did at South by Southwest in the early days was I brought my pen and my sketchbook and I would go to panels. You know, the first pass I ever got at South by Southwest was uh, a really um, good friend of mine, Janet Pearson, who runs the film part of, of South uh -huh. by Southwest. She said, you know, she had seen me drawing at another event. She said, why don't you come to South by Southwest and draw like the movies and panels and stuff. And so I started out as a fan. Like I would go to these panels and I would draw people and I would try to listen for the little like sound bitey stuff that I could copy down. And, and you know, I would try to watch these kind of live events, these panels, and sometimes I draw movies too. And I was trying to like extract the really good stuff out of there yep. that I could use later. And so a lot of my early life as a artist was about studying as much as it was about making stuff yeah. and then taking what I was studying and then sharing it like on my blog or Twitter or whatever with other people. Yeah. So a lot of people got to know my work because of like the drawings I was doing of other people, not my own ideas. Yeah. So I've always been like a guy who loves to research and one of the things I found um, like one of our friends, Ryan Holiday, he's Love the same Ryan. way. Yep. He's just like collecting, you know, quotes and writing them on index cards, and he's got his big file. One of the things I kept noticing, and, and this is part of the artist's job, is pattern recognition. You know, I kept noticing how many of these people I looked up to used the term steal, yep. used the term theft, talked about how, oh, I just steal stuff, man. You know, you got David Bowie saying, you know. Someone asked him, like, are you an original? And he said, oh, no, no, no. I'm more oh, no. like a tasteful thief. You know, he's like, the only art I'll ever study is the stuff that I can steal from. You know, you got people like these right. giants. And so I thought something was there. And then, um, you know, over the years, I just wrote a lot of blog posts and, like, you know, I was just trying to figure out how to be an artist. And then the book Steal Like an Artist started because... Um, community college in upstate New York, they wanted me to give a talk to students. Yeah. And I thought it was more highfalutin than it was. I thought it was like a, 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 a I thought it was a commencement address. And it turned out just to be like- Class of 28 people. Yeah, I thought it was like, you know, oh, let me send you off on your way with all this knowledge. But it was really just like a convocation or like, it was just in a gym and there were a bunch of, you know, the students were there and I had prepared this like, 10 things nobody told you and I gave this talk and like it went really well but all know, 82 people were just yeah floored. you know it was it was one of those things where I was like wow this was really good I put a lot of work into this what should I do with it and I turned it into a blog post and that was the thing that really took off and then it became clear that like steal like an artist needed to be a book and that's how you know, it all kind of that's a beautiful story I love something you said in there when I was teaching myself how to become an artist I think that's a, for the folks that I said earlier, we're going from zero to one, they're sitting yeah. there and you might be in a cubicle working for the man or you're inside a company and you wanna be able to figure out how to be more entrepreneurial or you're in a job that you don't love. And you know, part of this, you know, the, the series of this talk is these talks that I'm having with you and others like you are about how to help people live their dreams and career, hobby and life. And this, it seems to me like going from zero to one is you have to be intentional about it. It doesn't actually happen. Yeah. So give us, give it, like, this is a journey. Did you sit down one day and you say, like, 
I no longer want to work in the library. I want to write books. I, that's a great question. I had no aspirations whatsoever to be a professional writer. What I decided very early on, I had a very, um, I had a very good professor, and you know we're here with this you know mug that says "Do what you love," you yep. know. So I'm like, so I'm like about to tell the story about how I never, you know, really believed that. But you know, what happened to me was I had this really great writing professor in college, and he just basically he taught this course called the Publishing Marketplace, and he looked at us all and he's like, "Look, the majority of you will never make a living." of writing. Welcome to class, day Welcome one. Welcome to class, day one. Like the majority of you will never make a living writing like short stories or poetry or whatever. So like, you gotta get that clear right away. But you can have a life of writing, a life full of this thing that you love, no problem. Um, and so very early on I decided I'm gonna have decent, I'm gonna try to get the most decent day jobs I can and then I'm just gonna like, you know, the internet was really, this is like 2004, 2005, yep. everyone's blogging. So I got out of college, I was like, I'm gonna start a blog, I'm gonna get a job, and I'm just gonna like do my thing, you know? And, um, and I started out working in a library, and that was a great, as someone who loves books and wanted to be a writer, best job ever. Not for the reasons most people would think though, in that I, one of my jobs as a librarian was to weed, um, and what that, in, in, in librarian terms, weeding is like taking the books that no one checks out uh -huh. and like stamping them and putting them in the book drive. God. So like, I got a real clear picture. <laughs> I was not working. When I was working in the library of the books that people take out. Yeah. And the books that I loved and the stuff that I wanted to do was not necessarily the stuff that people were reading, you know? And so that was like, but but for a while but I that's was pattern recognition though goes yeah. back to like yeah. I think that was probably helpful. So like my whole thing in the beginning and the reason I'm having such a trouble with our cultural moment right now in that you know we're in this era now where everyone is okay so like you have a friend and she comes to you and and she's like Chase I made you this bracelet. Thank you. And and you're right and she gives it to you and you put it on and you're like this is amazing. Like, Jessica, this is just beautiful. Uh, God, you know what? You could have an Etsy store. That's like the first, I mean, yeah. what's the first thing we do in this culture? The minute anyone shows a any, idea. any like creative promise or an yeah. idea, like, oh, well, you know, you could start an Etsy store. Like, that's the, like the, that's yeah. the moment we live in now. But like, for me, I was just like, that was not, um, I was looking at people like, um, you know, I was I was really into poetry, so like I was looking at people like Philip Larkin, who like his whole career kept his job as a librarian. Um, uh, Wallace Stevens, you know, vice president of an insurance company. Poets are really instructed because poets have never been able to make a living. Yeah. Maybe if you're Billy Collins or something, but I think even he like teaches. So I always thought I'm gonna have this. Um, I'm gonna have this day job, and then I'm, it's gonna be like Bruce Wayne and Batman, right? I'm gonna have like my Bruce <laughs> Wayne gig, and then I'm gonna have like my Batman nights, you know? And it was just very clearly delineated for me. And I just thought that was very. So let me ask you a question. It seemed very clean. Did you have a, a the job, the job that you loved, or was the job in service of your career or hop, your, your passion or your hobby? It was. Did you did you like did you intentionally link those? Middle road. Got you know, it. I took jobs that I felt like I would be I mean, first of all, I took jobs that I could get. Yeah. You know, I got real lucky with the library job. Cause like 
Library jobs, it's interesting. I mean, they're like, it's like a county job. So it's a really good job with like benefits and you'll have like hundreds of people sure. that like take the little librarian tests and stuff. And I think what worked out for me is I was in my 20s and I would take a really low salary and it was like no problem. And I would work part time, you know, so yeah. I got the job. But, um, but I always kind of like had this middle road. The thing I did with my day jobs is I always wanted to take a day job that would inform the stuff I was really trying to do. For sure. So like the librarian stuff taught me uh, like how to get at information I needed. What um, I spent a lot of time um, teaching senior citizens how to use computers. And I realized like how poorly designed most of the internet was and what a big deal design was. And I like learned that there's such a thing as design and information design and, and that kind experience. of thing. Got sure. really interested in that. And then my next job after that was I got a job as a web designer at the law school here in Austin at UT. And that's when I learned how to make websites. And that was always in the back. Like, so it was interesting because I got that web design job because I had my own blog that I had like monkeyed with and like played with a template and stuff. And I like my future employer, I was like, hey, I, I've already been like I can do, do this, this work. Yeah, I this. Um, like I want to take this job and learn how to really do it well, and that's how I got hired. And then those three and a half years at the law school were all just like picking up web tips and like just building my blog, making it better and better, and like putting more out. And then uh, my last job I had was in advertising because I what I would do is I'd build these really nice sites for people. And then they'd just die a slow death because no one would ever update them. And then I'd do a really ugly site for like a really smart person at the law school who was really into keeping the website up and it would be great. And so I realized like, oh, it's content. It's about what you put what on you the website. Put in it. Yeah, yeah. And so a buddy of mine got me a job at a like a digital marketing place down the street here. And I did that for a while and that's why I did Steal Like an Artist. But every step along the way, the the um it was you contributing. Know, yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't totally Bruce Wayne and Batman. I mean, it was it was like they informed each other. You know, like basically, I would take a job that made me better at my side project, and then whatever I did on my side project would help me like this is, amp this up is, to the next yeah, job. This is fascinating because it, it not only is it zero to one, but it's also the one to ten because you're in there, you're doing work, and you're figuring out like I've got if I did this and this, that might inform my other thing. I'm I'm. I get asked that question all the time, like, how have you made this work? And I say one of two things. One, either do the thing that's informing the thing you want to do. Yeah. Like, uh, if you can get paid, you want to be a high-end commercial advertising photographer and you can right. get paid to shoot a wedding, great, do that. I wouldn't actually promote that too heavily because what we want you to do is we want you to be able to, you know, ultimately put the work out there that's going to get you the kind of work that you want. So, but holding a camera every day is very relevant to becoming this thing. So it's either that or, I recommend something which is very different, which is um, like, what can you do so that you maximize your time or yep. freedom? Yep. And that's a lot of wait tables. Can yep. you valet cars? Can totally. you drive an Uber? Whatever yep. to facilitate the um, the freedom and the free time. And you can go there, do a job, not overly obsess about it. How much can you do that job just so you cover your expenses and then spend the rest of your waking life focus on the things that matter most. And I see there are two paths and they both have pluses and minuses. Yeah. And a lot of it depends on, you know, the work you want to do that you really want to do. But what you said is so, I, I think what you, so to go back to the South by Southwest stuff that I was talking about earlier, 
I stopped advertising. I stopped doing that, like going to a event and drawing because um, people started asking me to do it for money. And they would be like, come to our conference and draw these people. Yeah. And then we'll give you, you know, how And then much you money. look down that patio and say, ooh, that's gonna be a place where I don't actually wanna be. And there's <laughs> actually a friend of mine, Sonny Brown, in town that she makes it. She's got like a whole business doing that. And it's great. But like to me, I was just like, that sounds really stressful. And like it would take this thing that I actually enjoy doing and just make it like awful. There is something about thinking know? about the end in mind. Because if you yeah. went down that logical thing of doing event photography or, yeah. uh, or like you said, drawing the, the talk, that doesn't actually gonna, it might actually compete, or like you said, burn out. Burn and work begets out. work, yeah. right? Yeah. Whatever, the work that you do leads to other work. So you have to be kind of careful about what you share of yours. You know, whatever works sure. you wanna do, you just have so to true. do that because work begets work. And so I made that decision very early on, like I gotta stop. I, I went from drawing other people's ideas to drawing my own, basically, because I was like. A, but there's, can we talk about that for a second? Sure. There's two things. You just, this is the perfect transition to show your work. Yeah. But, but what I want to do is the transition of when you started doing your own stuff, because there is a time where you're, you're either doing other people's stuff or you are imitating. You're like, I want to deconstruct that person's, or I want to design like this person, or I want to build my first internet business like. Uh, Tim Ferriss or a Lewis Howes or yeah. someone who you know is great at making online businesses, and yet there's some point where you flip that switch inside mm -hmm. you and you start doing your own yeah. stuff. Yeah, talk about that. So, um, the 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 idea at the heart of my third book, Show Your Work, is um, you know our traditional notion of creativity is genius. There are these superhumanly talented people. Jimi Hendrix, like they drop him out of a spaceship, you know, he yeah. falls to earth, he plays Purple Haze, sets his guitar on fire, and then they shuffles <laughs> off. You know, that's it. To like the, it's to done. his next show where he parachutes. Yeah, and, and we're and, and then he dies and we're all just like, oh my god, what happened? Jimi Hendrix, you know, and, and nobody like and, and that's like how that's how we think about it. Like, oh, he's just like this and and you know, um, but the the thing the idea that kind of counteracts that, the kind of healthier notion of creativity is... Of um, genius or creativity? Uh, of, of creativity sure. is, uh, or how ideas get, you know, how culture gets made. Like, usually it's genius. Someone just drops down, plays Purple Haze, and then, like, brings everybody up to their level, you know. Um, but the other no way of thinking about this is uh, what Brian Eno calls senius. And senius is a collective form of genius. So basically, like what you do when you're thinking about Jimi Hendrix, then all of a sudden you stop, like, oh, here's a superhumanly talented guy, you know. He is superhumanly talented, but what were the environmental and social factors that led him to be this thing? And you start digging into Jimi Hendrix, you find out, like, well, he played on the Chitlin circuit for God knows how many years, like backing up the Isley brothers and all that kind of stuff. You, you learn, and he's. And you know, Jimmy is he's soaking up all these different influences. He's connected to all these different yeah. people, like Chaz Chandler, the animals. You know, you just you put that story together and you realize that a lot of creativity is about a network. And it's about being um, and being uh, having an impact on the culture is not so much about being this lone genius. And it's much it's more about being this person that's connected to lots of different things. 
and positioning yourself in a way in which you can have that impact. I mentioned David Bowie before. One of the things I loved about, I mean, I- Incredible artist. So incredible. So sad to lose him. And I felt like the only good thing to come out of him leaving us was that we got this like wealth of amazing material, all these people coming out and talking about his work. And David Bowie, he's a classic example of a guy that just like, whenever he needs a new idea, he just like sets himself down in the right place and sits for a while and like just soaks up and like just like gets the the feelers. And yeah. so, um, you know, we talked about starting out. You know, I think if you can stop worrying about being that genius, being that original person and start thinking about more like, what other people doing are, are doing and then what they're not doing. And then you find that di Venn diagram of like what people aren't doing and what you could possibly take on. And that little sliver in the middle, like that's your work. That's what you should get on. And so, you know, I was sitting there. It's funny because when I was drawing stuff at South by Southwest, there wasn't anyone else really doing that. There were like a few other people and we met each other. And we got together and we said, hey, let's do a panel about drawing at South by Southwest. So we got all together and did this panel. And then all of a sudden, there are all these people drawing <laughs> at South by Southwest. So we, we almost made ourselves obsolete. That and, is a fear of sharing your work, which I think we should get to. Yeah, and, and so, but then I realized, well, wait a minute, all these people are doing this now so I can go do something else. And so that was, um, so constantly doing that as an artist. You know, I think David Bowie is a great, He's another great example in that like Bowie does work and he does it for a while and then like so he does Ziggy Stardust, you know, and then everyone gets into glam rock, right? Like yeah. everyone's into it and then he's like, eh, great. no, I'm, I'm going to jump over here, you know, and he makes sure. his next move and he keeps doing that throughout his life. I think Bob Dylan's another great example. There's a lot of great reinvention. You said so many things I want to touch on. Let's, let's visit the, the genius concept. So yeah. we're in the series 30 Days of Genius. Mm -hmm where people sign up and they get a little one of these things in their inbox every day, these talks like that you and I are having right now. And what I believe what Creative Live stands for, in fact, is that there's genius in all of us. Yeah. Uh, and this, <clears throat> the when you're sort of doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing, that genius inside of you has the opportunity yeah. to more easily express itself. Sure. Michael Mead, do you know that name? I've heard of yeah. it. Uh, just talks about how, how genius is sort of being aligned with your true authentic self and then so yeah. the hope is that people realize that, that that there is a genius or I think we can substitute creativity in every yeah. single person and it's about trying to tap that looking around them like in the marketplace and looking inside your soul what is it you're supposed to be doing and you put that out there and it's the, the act of putting it out building this community that will make you to use Brene Brown's word that make you rise yeah, and, I mean, the, and there's also, um, there's all this, like, genius brings this, like, idea of pressure. You know, I haven't actually, I've read one thing of Elizabeth Gilbert's, I feel really bad about saying this, but uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, before she did Eat, Pray, Love and all that, like, she was an amazing journalist, and there's a great, great um, profile of Tom Waits that she did in 2002, and she talked about how uh, Tom Waits would be driving along in his car, and a, he'd get this idea for a song. And he finally started like I've looking up and saying, can't you see I'm driving? driving. <laughs> you know, and like would just like go away. I remember this. And and 
Elizabeth Gilbert gave this TED talk. It was after Eat, Pray, Love. And, and I just, I don't know a lot about her, but I loved this TED talk so much. She just got up and she was just like, it's very possible my best work is behind me. I'm like 40 years old. I probably got like another 40 yeah, years. Yeah, she sold a million books. Yeah, it's Eat, very Pray, possible this is it. But like, I love this thing. I have to keep going. And what she talked about in terms of genius was kind of the old school Greek way of thinking about genius, which is genius was like more like the muse. It was something that visited you, that you did you weren't a genius, but you had a genius. You had something that like I love visited. the distinction. I love the distinction. And to bring it back around to the um, Tom Waits thing, uh, the way your genius visits you is that you sit in a certain place at a certain time every day, or you. Do and some sort of doing activity, the work and, and you let that in, right? And that's where your practice comes in. That's that's holding the camera every day. That's every day. playing the cello. That's every the day. twenty-eight that's to make thing. Doing exactly. this exercise, the daily praxis. Yes. Of putting something out. So this is like we're going back to the natural shift in the conversation right yeah. here to show your work. Right. So steal like an artist is this zero to one. You're like I'm going to start gathering this stuff, looking inside myself. What do I have to add to this um, to this conversation, to this narrative, and how can I make it my own? Yeah. You said you're collecting these things and you weld them together into something new. You gave the Star Wars example. Now what? Right. Now what? You've got this thing that you made, and you know, even ten years ago, you'd have to get permission yeah. from the gatekeepers, from the gallerists to show your work, yeah. from the editor to get your work, whether they're visual or words or whatever, into the magazine or uh, a book deal, any of those things, you'd have to have permission. Yeah. Today is a different day. So show your work. I. It's funny. The books have to be out for a while before I figure out like what they're really about. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah, like it's your fifth press tour. You yeah. figure it out finally, right? So there's this tension with creative people, and everyone out there listening to us knows what it is. You've got your thing that you're really good at, that you love to do, and then there's all the like admin stuff. There's all the... But more than that, there's the self-promotion. And, and Show Your Work was really a book about self-promotion for people who hate the very idea of self-promotion. That's what it was really trying to be. I think you have to be two different, you have to be two different people in those modes sometimes because as an artist, you almost, you have to be very open and wondering and very like unsure. You have to kind of not know what you're doing. You have to have that kind of amateur spirit. And then when you're self-promoting, it comes from this place of confidence. I have this thing, like I'm like, hey, I'm, you know, Austin. Here's what I'm selling. Buy, you know, buy the new buy, book. Buy the steel like an artist, you know. You know? And um, what I wanted to do was to get people who were really uncomfortable with self-promotion, hey, let's just let's just shuffle that aside and let's rethink this in terms of sharing. Let's think about sharing and let's think very hard about that word. And let's figure out if there's a way that we can integrate the making and sharing in a way, or or somehow bring them together into um, into some kind of balance. And and so traditionally, you know, the way that you think about your craft is your process is private. What you do, like how you get the work, your magic. That's like your that's your thing, like that you keep hidden and like hid away from people, and then the product, the painting, the photograph, the whatever, that's what you share to people. And you only poke your head up when you've got this finished thing. Now what you just said, 
that works great for that system. Like back in the day when you had a publisher that you were trying to pitch to, here's my finished book, here's my finished like proposal, here, here you go, right? Or, oh, gallery, like please, here are my finished beautiful paintings, whatever, right? I'd like to have a show, please, Right. if you think I'm worthy. That works in a world in which the only way you get access to an audience is going through one of those gatekeepers. Well, now we're in this world where you can reach anyone, anytime, anywhere, and so the, the only healthy way I could figure out how to do this stuff is to turn sharing into as much of a daily practice as So you sort of flip the script, basically. The thing. Like, th this is my work. To, to, the, and I think we're in this very interesting time culturally where people are just as interested in how work gets done as they are in the actual work. That was my experience. Which yeah, you've experienced. Shooting behind the scenes videos, where they're, they're, the term didn't even exist right. when I started doing it. And very rapidly, sure, they, like the, the, a client would hire me to shoot a print campaign and the ad buy for the print campaign would be, instead of gigantic, global, all of these magazines, it's gonna be everywhere all the time. It, they were making that smaller and smaller and smaller, yeah. and they were putting more of that time and money and energy into filming the behind the scenes, filming right. the story, the narrative about making the thing. So yes, you were still working on this campaign, yeah. but it really was, the, the the jewel wasn't necessarily the finished thing. Right. The jewel was the process to getting the finished thing. Right. So, so th this, is what you, this is what you've done. So yeah, so Show Your Work is a book about how to figure that out. It's about how you can balance, um, and, and it's not just about how you can self-promote or share, it's about how to build a, a sustainable system in which the making and the sharing help each other. Like you make the thing, and then you kind of share bits and pieces as you go, and then as an audience forms, they feed, like how they respond to the sharing kind of influences the making. And now if you're, if you're a certain kind of artist, this is heretical. I mean, that loop I'm talking about is completely heretical because, you know, for a long time our idea is that you've got this, again, you're a lone genius and you come up with the art and you put it out and then you know, people either like it or they don't, screw them, you're on to the next thing. And there is a balance of like doing what you want to do and what and and you know, taking in what people give you. But that's what it was about. But what I what I so I was, you know, I was inspired by like people who I was watching who were really good at this. Like, hey, you know, like I'm in the studio today, here's like a painting in progress, or like here's like a you know, blah blah blah. And I was trying to figure out how to turn what they were doing into a user's manual for other people. And that's, 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 that's stunning. What a beautiful gift. Yeah, that's what the book was supposed to be about. But I learned later on, because your book, the interesting thing about books is that you make them and you think they're one thing, but they're like art. You put them out in the world and then people tell you what it means to, what them. It means to them and it changes. So. A book is almost like a piece of art. It's just a, a kind of mediary between you and the reader. Um, it turned out that Show Your Work was a lot about education. It was about, and, and it, it spins off of this, um, Christopher Hitchens, the late great writer, had this quote and he said, um, putting a book out to the world is like getting a free education that goes on for a lifetime. Because he's like, you put a book out in the world and then the people who read it, they email you, Comes back they phone you, 
they come to your events, they tell you what you got right, they tell you what you got wrong. And he's like, it's a free education that goes on for a lifetime. And so what I was trying to do with Show Your Work is like, there are people who do really interesting work that they don't want to be a best-selling author. They don't want to be like some celebrity or something. They just want to make their thing and find a community of people that they can connect with. And so repitching this whole process as one of getting this education that goes on forever. And the community, that's one of the things that I think is so powerful today right. is that it's actually in the sharing that you, in the, in the creating and the sharing of the work most importantly, that the community this, comes together. And it's a and, it, it's just a disparate group of people and then they start gravitating around your work or someone else's yeah. work or whatever. And then we're all lovers of Austin Cleon and I recognize someone in the chat room or I recognize right. someone on the Twitter stream or whatever about this. Like, I yeah. love that. So you're almost creating your own seniors by being a node in the network. Like where you position yourself and who you connect to, you're kind of building your own network. And so, the idea behind Seniors is like, maybe you aren't the photographer, maybe you're the publicist, or maybe you're just the appreciator, maybe you're the blogger. There, there's this rich ecosystem. A curator, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 like any, you know, and and so there's that idea that like you don't have to be the main attraction in order to be part of this network that's like making ideas happen and like is is rich and, and is inspiring everyone and 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 again like i find that it's it's nice to you know like my work now is how i make a living like what these books and like my talks and stuff is how i make a living but like and that's great that's a great reward but the really great reward is just the really doing it. interesting people i've bumped into now that's biographical to me because i grew up in a really small town and all I wanted when I was growing up was other people who were interested in the same thing that I was interested in. Yeah. And I had none of that. That's why this series exists. That's one of the reasons Creative Live exists. Right. Like I wanted to bring access as a core value of Creative Live. And what these, you know, like tens or hundreds of thousands of people who are watching this, that they are be they are now able to access you and your brain in a way that they wouldn't have been able to before. Which in turn, I get a ton of juice. There's a selfish aspect to yeah. this. Like I'm sitting here this far away and from you and these other, you know, but rock this, stars that are peers or friends or people I aspire to be like. I've talked to a lot of people that have kind of like, you know, they've gotten internet famous or now they're doing this thing that they're known for and I'll have lunch with them or something and we, you know, we talk about what what's the best thing about it. And usually we decide this right here. Yeah. Like we're talking. Um, I we were you know like one of the best um you know one of the best experiences in my young life has been to start out as a fan and end up a peer you know you start out as like you know you're looking up to these people like i'm seeing seth godin like on your board or yeah. something and i remember being younger and seth is this like hugely popular author and like you know it's 17 books like, now or something God, like yeah that. like this like guy and i remember having breakfast with him and just like talking to him like, uh, like we buddy. were peers yeah. not even buddy but just like oh yeah you're a writer too i can relate you know what remember i mean when like, this happened yeah how, yeah how felt, like, how'd you feel now that can go very wrong i mean you can meet people that you wanted to be peers with and they're like complete yeah. jerks or something but like that seems to be the um you know that to me is really the the when you when you meet when when you start out as a fan and you become a peer, like I don't know what's better than that. That's like the, that's the I real mean, it's like beautiful. 
that's the thing. You know, even more than like making something that you're. I mean, there's this like making this thing that you're really proud of. That, Putting that's, the book out. That's or... intrinsic. Doing this work that you feel like is really good. Because I mean, you know, that's something we could talk about too. And like, even getting paid for the work, like there sure, is a, yeah. that pay is a form of validation, yeah. right? But I mean, I remember still being having a day job and meeting people as peers, and they're like, "Oh, you still work over at the law school?" I'm like, "Yeah," you know, and still yeah. like that. But that was still like a a jolt. Well, there's many things we can talk about baked into that. Before, but I also I want to get to to your newest project, <laughs> yeah. Steal Like an Artist, the journal version of that. Before we do, though, I can't help but realize that the that showing your work and all the talk that we just went through around process, and uh, to me, I'd like to shift gears for a second and go into your process and you personally for just a few minutes here. Yeah. So, morning routine. <laughs> what is it? Uh, my morning routine is completely based around my kids. So, but you I, clearly have designed a life that works around your kids because have, you have a routine, right? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> this. So, so when I get up in the morning, it's very much like uh, getting the kids wrangled and like getting them um, breakfast. And I make my wife coffee, and we have breakfast, and and like you know that takes forever. <laughs> like it's glacial. I don't want this to turn into like a daddy vlog session, but like just the glacial pace of family life is just like, oh my God. Like you look and you're like, it's been an hour and I've barely gotten breakfast on the table. The thing that my wife and I have done with our kids that has been such a huge, great thing for us is we load, we have a double stroller that we call the war rig, like Mad Max. I love it. And it's like this ginormous stroller. We stick our two boys in there and we go for an hour walk, like every day. Wow. Like if it's raining, doesn't matter. Put on the poncho. You're out there, and 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 that is always um, that is probably the heart of my intellectual life at the moment because my wife has always been like my editor and my partner in crime, and so we'll you know just it's usually just me talking a lot of the time, but you know I mean like we consult and we figure things out while we're on our walk. And then when we get back from that, you know, she'll do, um, she'll get ready for the day and then I'll do some exercises and listen to podcasts and get my shower. And then I might not roll out to the studio till like 10 o'clock. So it's almost like agency hours or something, <laughs> you know, like, so I'll roll out at like 10 o'clock and then I might do, that's when I, um, I always try to do the creative, like real important stuff first. So like I'll go in there and I'll make a poem or I'll try to write 500 words or whatever, like right out of the bat, like right out of the gates. And then I'll go in for lunch and then I hang out with the kids. And I work out, I'm, I'm sorry, I work, I work out of my garage. I have a detached garage. And, and so I like, it's a 10 foot commute. So That's pretty I can short. Just, yeah, so I can just like <laughs> pop out of the house, go into the garage. And I've talked to people that work from home. It's really important to have, like, you got to have a space. door, first of all, for sure. But, like... Especially with kids, I bet. You cannot work in a house with kids. Like, I just... I know some uh, mother writers who, you know, they'll wait until nap time to, to write and that Focus. kind of thing. But, like, I have to be out of the house. Like, there has to at least be two doorways in between us. So, um, so you, you got some exercise in there. You got moving your feet, moving... Yeah. Like, getting some blood pumping. You got breakfast and, and i should mention i always have my notebook with me so like i'll take a lot of notes like 
in the morning. Like, like I'll get back from the walk and I'll like Jules spill the cereal or what kind of no? It'd be like um, you know, Megan and I were talking about new urbanism and like uh, cities and working and space and like I'll make little notes to myself. You know oh, what sure. I mean? In, in the notebook and then. Um, but then you, you said you said, uh, but then I got some exercise. Like so yeah, exercise just, on top of exercise. I just do like I just, just like do push-ups and like crunches. You know, just, just basic stuff. Like basic yep. stuff. Like when we, we we've talked simple. before about meditating. I'm a meditator. Yes. You you said that you carve out ten minutes every day. This I, is just a, it's a recurring theme for me, and it has been completely fell off the meditation wagon. Like I I so there's, don't there do it there anymore. is life after meditation. There you, is you, life after meditation for the people who are struggling. You can still be it, you uh, can, happy and successful. You can, but like, I think it's great. I love meditating. I'm going to figure out a way to integrate it. But like, this is the other thing that I think like, you just, we, we're all, we're in this like life hack. Make yourself into a cyborg type moment <laughs> in our culture where everyone is just trying to figure out how to optimize themselves and like become this great version. It's like, just do what gets you through the day. Like, just like, productivity is so overrated in so many ways. Like sometimes, like, just Tell like think about doing good work. Like, just like, people are just so like, oh, I gotta like, I gotta do this. It's like, you don't have to do anything. Like what you need to do is do every day when you go to bed, you need to make sure that you did the thing that gives your life meaning. That's like pretty much it. Like when you hit the pillow, like whatever you did that day. Did it matter to you? Did it matter to you? What It's not like checking some life hacker box. Like, oh, I got right. my meditation in I and then I did my like another hundred followers. bullet journal. And then I like, you know, all that. It's just like, did you practice the thing that you, that feeds you? Did you do something that mattered? Did you try to spend your day in a way that you felt like you were mindful or mindful conscious or whatever? Or, yeah. The Positive. rest doesn't matter. So I got to a point with meditating where it was like, I like doing this, but at the end of the day, if it's between me making a poem and meditating, I would rather do the poem. Now, the awesome. interesting thing about meditating for me is that it's a practice. A lot of what I got from meditation is like staring at, like when I make one of those blackout poems, it's the same thing. I completely zone out and the words just kind of like, they just kind of turn into this mass and I just like stuff pops out and I circle. Like it's a very meditative activity. And I think that drawing and making poetry, there's something about the solitary process of it. It's a lot like prayer. It, it's a meditative prayer, yeah. practice as is. But I mean, the point I'm trying to make is just that like, I let go of what I, I think it's really important to like, let go of what you think you should be doing. Should, should, should just a bad And thing, just yeah. like, and to really zoom in on like, what makes you feel alive when you're doing it? You know, it's like, beautiful. what, you know, and that's, that well, sounds touchy feely, yeah. but it's no, really. No, I, one of the things that I want some takeaways to be some really actionable takeaways. It's not, when I say morning routine, I just, I find that there is a routine. There's all oh yeah like, yeah and and, and there the, is the, the, the difference for like whether and I'm not I don't know if what the right way of talking about it, it's not success it's like the people who I end up really connecting with who have done stuff and it doesn't matter if you redefined you know the garbage system in Kansas City or yeah. your Pulitzer Prize winner there's like just the desire to achieve or to see or do something and make an impact that transcends yourself 
Yeah. There's just there's a routine for almost all those people. Absolutely. And, and it doesn't and, have yeah. to be, you know, like the contents of the routine is yeah. actually I'm, what I'm less interested in. It's just the fact that there's, oh my gosh, that there is this routine. I am scheduled within an inch of my life every day. Like, I just am. I mean, like, I know when I'm going to be up. I know when I'm going to go to bed. I know, like, when things. And so the the that sounds very, like, it sounds like a bummer to some people. But I'm like, especially when you're a parent, having a very intense schedule frees you because you know when you're going to have time. Because I've been, like, I've been in a house, like, watching a kid and looking at the clock and just being like, when am I ever going to get to write? And it's the worst feeling in the world. But like now it's like, <laughs> I know it, yeah. when I'm gonna have that time. And it's like Tom waits in the car. Like, can't you see I'm changing a diaper? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, you're like. <laughs> well, like, <laughs> okay, I, I, well, I'm not gonna not let that go because it's, it's less about the content for the, the people out there in the world the more that there is a thing. Yeah. So that you actually do think about what you do every day. Yeah. Um, and I love the intention, the intentionality there. Um, but I also want some other ways for people to get in and sort of know you, Austin, a little oh, bit better. Yeah. So tell me a story about something that people don't know about you, that, or, or people that, yeah, they, they, they know your work, but that they definitely wouldn't know about you. Oh, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not... you're a pretty open guy. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm super, uh, I'm a really suburban guy now. Like, I have, like, a... You like have I a have, double wide have, baby carriage well, called Mad Max. Yeah, I mean, like, I've... Death Mobile. Like, I live in, like, a really boring, like, nice little neighborhood in Austin. Like, kind of out on the, like, southwest. And, like, I have my little... It's like a 1974 ranch house. It's very just like, just chill. And like, I am a very, my idea of like, I think people might be disappointed if they realized how mundane like my life is. <laughs> like I, I went to P. Terry's this morning at 1030. P. Terry's is the burger place here. It's like in and out only like way better. And, and like, it's the local chain here. And it was like, we pulled up in our SUV, which I'm just like, oh God, my life. But like, we pull in and my wife and I get the kids out and we go in and it's nothing but other families. Cause it's 10.30, who would get a burger no at 10.30? Yeah, exactly, people no with one, kids would. apparently. And so yeah. it's just like a Chuck E. Cheese in there. It's just like, people are just like, it's just like families and, but I think that um, what I am, um, my, uh, I am very much interested right now in, um, I think America is increasingly becoming homogenized and blander and blander and more like strip molly and just like really like just Costco's for miles and Walmart, you know. And I think that um, I'm really interested in being a refinery for junk. Like I'm very interested in how can we take this wasteland like going back to Mad Max, like how do you take a wasteland and get inspired by it? Because I find like a lot of America to be so intensely ugly and bland, but I'm interested now in- How do you flip that? How do you flip that? Like how yeah. do you take this kind of like, you know, cause as a culture, we're just like, just like you just see things like just falling apart and just, Becoming like, and, but how do you take that and find some sort of wonder in your day? Because I think if you can master that, if you can figure out how to keep your curiosity, like I used to work in this office where 
it was just like fluorescent lights and cubicles and everything was tan. It was just like everything was tan. Beige. Beige. And I just remember sitting there and just being like, how am I supposed to live in this environment? Sounds very kafka -esque. It's very kafka <laughs> but it's like, but that's like part of our job now is like to be able to keep wonder. Like this is my big question. How can I continue to be inspired when I take my kid to Costco? Like how can I be inspired at the Costco food court it's as much as if I'm in like walking the hills of Silver Lake in Los Angeles or out in Red Rock? But it's a you choice. know what I mean? It, it turns out scientifically and my matches my own experience that it is a choice. Happiness, awareness, Beauty, joy, all of those things right. are things around. Because you can be like in, like, like I gotta go, you know, or you can be like. <laughs> can you do that again? You know, oh, <laughs> Twitter, Twitter, <laughs> Bernie, Trump, well, you know. Um, but like, like to be like to look at everything with. I call it the Walgreens gene. That I my my. My father-in-law is this guy who's lived in Cleveland his whole life, like most of his life. I mean, he's a brilliant guy. He went to Harvard and like came back and he's a newspaper writer. But like, I watched my father-in-law go into a Walgreens one time and it was like if you went into the MoMA, basically. He was just like Floss. so, like look at Dental all this Floss. shit. Look at this, look at this. You know, like his wonder and being, and he could do the same thing with his crappy suburb that he lives in. And like he, he could drive, oh, did you see? Like he's always like aware, he's looking, like all the stuff that you would ignore, he's looking at that. And so like, and so, you know, like I thought, oh my God, this is a way of being. What it, this it, is, is this is a way of operating. Yeah. You can ignore decide. Ignore nothing, beauty is everywhere. Yeah, you can decide, I will pick I will look for the gems here, or I will just accept this as what it is, and like I will find the inspiration in it. And it's funny because like ever since I've made that switch, I've found all these artists. Like like John Baldessari's one. He lives in L.A. and I think I have fun in L.A. I really like L.A. But he's like, why would I live anywhere great? He's like, I have to be angry to make work. He's like, I have to live in Los Angeles, so I have I'm to like, get in my car and drive so for I'm, an hour. Yeah, and 30 so I'm angry enough to make stuff. Why would I? You know, <laughs> I like I like that. I like that idea of a, a artist being a refinery for like one of my favorite artists I found recently is this woman named Sister Corita Kent, and she taught at Immaculate Heart in Los Angeles and her work, what she did, she'd take these, she was a, she took a lot of photographs. She would take advertisements and she would turn them into these beautiful screen prints that had like a religious context. So she'd take like a picture of a bag of Wonder Bread, right? Like just a crappy old white bread, like you know, wrapper. Literally, <laughs> take bread. a picture of white bread and then she would take out the word Wonder and like blow it up real big and then have bread. She would bring out the religious context of like Wonder Bread, like the toast and, you know, like she would, she would figure out a way to take this garbage that she saw, like most of us, you know, advertising, like this clutter, this visual pollution. And she'd figure out a way to like turn that into this like sublime work. 
well, that's, that's what I'm really fascinated in. Well, now. you you know that was your prompt was so yeah your so prompt. waste basket waste so basket. like so part of like not, so we're, we'll we're go going here we're going here now still like an artist mode. no the journal so there are give us the, so you, the thirty thousand foot of this and then we'll go into the actual waste basket so thing. the still like an artist journal is I came off of like show your work which was all about sharing and being connected and stuff and I was thinking again about how. Um, important my notebook is to me like as as we're like on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and snapchat or whatever there needs to be a private place to be alone with your thoughts and so I was thinking some more about like a paper notebook like a lot of people are like why'd you put out a paper notebook dude like it's 2016 I'm like because like paper like a paper notebook has it's like a walled garden like, because I can jump in here and I can write down whatever's on my mind and then I can either share it or I can close it and put it away, you know? And so, like, um, I think, you know, when, when people talk about creativity and getting ideas and stuff, I think we're all having ideas all the time. I think it's just that we don't even know what's in our heads because, again, we're distracted but you know, like, yeah. you know, or or we're just like we're we're distracted, and so the the quote that I opened up the Steel Journal with is by Mary Oliver, and she's a poet. She says, "I think we're creative all day long. We have to have an appointment to have that work out on the page because the creative part of us gets tired of waiting or just gets tired." And so, what the Steel Like an Artist Journal is supposed to be is it's supposed to be a way for you to kind of get in touch with your ideas every day. And the point of the book is to be, um, you know, you asked about the term creative kleptomaniac before. My idea is that if you're on as an artist, you're constantly looking for those bits to steal. You're like a jewel thief or something, right? You're like always casing the joint. You're always looking around. You're always looking for little bits and pieces that you can steal and put into your work. And so what the journal is supposed to be is a very lo-fi, simple, dumb tool for you to take those mundane things in your life, that everyday life that is not inspiring you, and to turn that into something that you can use. There's so many. I'd love to just put a couple of these things on display. So there's um, like this gratitude page. Oh, yeah. If you can get on this. Like, yeah. So th this. Thanks to blank. Who taught, taught me, me blank. blank. So I ripped this off of, uh, most of these are stolen. Like it's stuff that I've like found. Um, this is Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor. Uh, he, he starts are you the- friends with him? Uh, yeah, I, we're, we're in touch. You know, we're <laughs> Luigi. No, but like he, uh, at the beginning of the meditations, which is his, basically his journals that they saved and now is like a book. It's like a self-help. It's like one of those first self-help books because it's literally Marcus Aurelius like, writing down to himself what he should be doing with his life. But he starts that book out thanking people. He's like, thanks to my father who taught me blah, blah, blah. Thanks to my great-grandfather, blah, blah, blah for this. And I thought, oh, that was cool. So like we should, what if, we, what if that was an exercise? What if you went through your life and you know, gave shout outs to people. So that's just like one I, little I love it, and there's another one. So your, your prompt was Wastebasket, and what people are doing as a part of this series is um, when they're listening to this, just do something with a waste basket. Right. Take a picture of it, sketch it, share it on any of your social feeds with hashtag uh, 
30 days of genius and in so your particular so, prompt of wastebasket so you actually I, have some yeah stuff so in. i use my own um this is this is a little off it's it's a little suggestive but um <laughs> so i was doing i was using my journal and i just moved i just bought that house i was talking about and i was moving into my new studio so my wastebasket was full of ikea instructions uh, which I hate, and, uh, and so <laughs> is I, there anyone who doesn't? Yeah, right. Like it's, that's the that's to be the worst. So I made worst. a collage out of uh, out of IKEA in trash. In, instructions. So that's brilliant. That's it. Brilliant. Yeah, this is the stuff I. So uh, let me. <laughs> I'm just randomly pick up. I think that's the... another thing I want to say about like creativity is like we just have this high bar for making stuff, and I would just like encourage people to like make bad stuff. Just, you know, it, it doesn't matter, like, just as long as you're making something, like, make bad stuff. Like, I'm, I'm a big fan of Sturgeon's Law, like, Theodore Sturgeon, he is a sci-fi writer, and said, you know, 90% of everything is crap. And I feel that way about my own work. I gotta make nine terrible poems before I make, like, one that's worth saving. Wow. Like, having a low bar so, of, of, it because... It takes the pressure away. Yeah, because, you know, if you are worried about painting the Sistine Chapel every day, you're not going to work because you're going to be scared. Whereas, you know, if you're just like, I'm going to make the worst. Like, this is such a great exercise. It's like, I'm going to make the worst thing I can make. Just like right now. Like, I'm going to shoot the crappiest photo. I guarantee if you went out with your camera, like right now, and was like, I'm going to try to take the worst, like cheesiest, <laughs> cliched photo I can take. You'd probably, if you shot enough of them, you'd probably come up with something actually good. That's very true. Just because, like, because so much of the work is just, like, being uh, loose. Being loose. I want to read a couple of things from okay. your book. Ten things I probably think about more than the average person. I'm going to turn this, like, real-time live on you right now. What are ten things? Actually, give me three things that you think you think of more than the average person. Uh, oh, God. What, um, um, right now, I'm thinking about uh, uh, chants. I'm really, I'm, I'm becoming, I'm, I'm really interested in tarot cards and the I Ching right now. I'm thinking about like chance operations and, and how to um, use that for art. There's a bunch of like, like John Cage and a bunch of weird artists that use chance operations. You think of that more than I do. For I sure. think of that a lot. I think about. Not just parenting, but I think about um, well, I think about parenting a lot. I think a lot of people I'm, think about a lot of parenting, so I'm not going to give you yeah, that. That's, that's not that's not good. See, but this is hard. It's hard to do on the fly. For on sure. the that's fly. Why, that's, why that's, why that's why we're doing it. This is why it's interesting for the people at home. I think about. I'm going to let you off the hook. That there. thing I thought I was telling you before about how to take your mundane everyday surroundings and turn them into something sublime. I, I think, think about that a lot. That's fascinating. That's beautiful. I think about. Recently, I've been thinking a lot, this kind of ties into the chance operations thing about, you know, finding yourself at a certain moment in your life. I think, you know, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately with social media and, and just this crush of seeing other people's lives constantly, I feel like everyone, if you're a certain age, Everyone the same age, their lives are alternate universes for choices you didn't make. This is an idea I stole from this writer named Tim Kreider. And I think the crush of that is really something contemporary and new. Like having to constantly be bombarded with people's images of this life that they're leading. 
the FOMO and just like the, the fear of missing out and that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing with your life, I think is, is crushing a lot of people. Yes. Instead of like kind of thinking about it in cosmic time and what a complete miracle it is that you even exist. Yeah. You know, I think- And you get to I be inspired just, by that as opposed to comparing everyone else's highlight reel to your real life. That's right. Pain, that can be- that Yeah, can be comparing someone's yes. highlight reel to your behind the scenes, that's like the crush. So I think about yeah. that a lot lately. So that's three things. All right, here's another one. Make up a really good lie about yourself and tell me right now. Invent a short story to back it up. <laughs> I was a I was a uh, I was a champion golfer when I grew up. You have the bill. My my father was very interested in golf, and he made me watch you know Jack Nicholson clips and Arnold Palmer clips. Or Jack Nicholas because Jack Nicholson is Jack, an Jack, see, <laughs> You caught me. You caught me. Uh, let's see Although one. my dad really does like Jack Nicholson too. Great. What are you really working on? This is a this is a prompt. Yeah, this is something that came out. Because uh, I did the same, your like 28 days thing. I did it with the journal on my own feed. And um, I am really, what I'm really working on, I'm supposedly working on a new book, but what I'm really working on is trying to figure out what I'm interested in. Can we talk about that as an artist? Because yes. I, I know so many people that have gone on to just, uh, I can cite most recently, Macklemore, when you sell 15, you have 15, 15 million, 15x platinum album your first album and that's singles and and album sales combined uh what do you do what next? do you do and he it took him a long time and a complete... lot of in and out to go back and find something in that there a new album just dropped and they're on tour right now but talked to him briefly about that you've heard of interviewed at other places yeah. like what is that what kind of headspace that's a tough headspace so talk about that. like how are you figuring that out for yourself i think it requires a lot of um, backing up. I, you know, I mentioned the I Ching before. Um, one of the, I don't know if people are familiar with the I Ching. It's basically a book of like prompts uh, that you, you know, you throw coins, you get this hexagram, and you look up what the prompt is. But um, it's ancient Chinese, and um, one of the things it's been telling me lately is just like to retreat and to think and to back off. And I think so. So for me, it's a lot of um, trying to just make space for for because um, you know when when you hit the success point when you're Macklemore you could stay busy forever right I no mean question. like whether it was like answering emails or he could probably make a living just showing up places you know like you show up at a party and they give you like five grand or something because you're Macklemore I mean like there's sure, probably like all five, kinds of yeah, goofy yeah. I'm sure it's more than five <laughs> but like you know, like you just, like, there is just so much, like, admin. You could do interviews forever. Like, I don't do a lot of interviews anymore. I know, I'm thinking Because I'm just your, like, but, like, you know, it's like I could spend all day being on people's podcasts. There's so many podcasts. There's so many podcasts. And, like, you know, but, like, you could stay busy once you hit a certain level. And so you have to really carve out time to do nothing. To be back at that point where you have nothing to lose and to be back at that, like, what would I do if no one cared? To go back to that point. What, what would I do if there was no audience? Like, what would I be interested in? But, but also, like, you know, figuring out what that is. Like, what would I do if no one was looking? 
What am I truly interested in? But then I think there's also like, if you do build an audience, it's more interesting if you can think about what they're interested in too. And, and again, find that Venn diagram. What, you know, you your could, audience overlaps with your passions. Yeah, because I mean, you could just thumb your nose at them. You could do the Nirvana thing. Like there's, I always think about it in terms of music. Like, so you get your Nevermind. And then you're just like, we're for those of you don't know, that is the that is their <laughs> mega hit album that had it smells like Teen Spirit on it. It right. was after their first album called Bleach, which didn't really get. I forget that Nirvana is like 20 years ago. Like there were probably kids watching. They've never even heard Nirvana, right? 25. 25. Oh, we're old, but yeah. So so like it's like you get this like blockbuster album, right? And what does Nirvana do? They are like, we're gonna make the ugliest, loudest record we can and they make this album called in utero and it's thumbing their nose at all these meathead like frat boys that showed up at their shows and started moshing and stuff like that it was like a very calculated um thing on their part and i remember reading um quest love of the roots talking about like every time they did an album they knew they were going to lose half of their audience because they were just on their own getting thing. out there and out there and i'm always interested in like balancing out what i would love to do with like what whatever audience has shown up like what they're interested in I, what they need that's that, just more interesting to me because like honestly if i was going to do anything if someone just sent me a check all day i would just sit around and read like, i don't care you know, I just read books until I ran out. Luckily, I'll never run out. Yeah, there's a lot you know? of books. There's like, there's, there's a, a lot, lot of books. books. So you I, know, my, it's, it's the same. The same is true for me. I, I can validate that same sort of dialogue, that internal sort yeah. of self reflection. And I think also you can do both. Like you can do your little passion project, and then you can do the work of like helping your audience get where they want to go, or giving them you know not what they want because that's pandering, taking them where they need to go. I like that concept very much. Helping them get to where they need to be going. Still like an artist journal, but sold everywhere. Everywhere. All Anywhere your books place. are sold. Airports, Walgreens. So um, tell me one thing that's going extraordinarily well for you right now. Mm. Well, my son's birthday was yesterday. That's cool. And keeping a kid like, alive what, for a year. He's 25, 26? He's, <laughs> he's one. <laughs> keeping a kid, keeping two children alive for a year, that's going very well for me. I'm really, uh, uh, I've, you know, we're in Austin. I've actually really gotten back into Austin. I was really down on Austin for a while, but I realized it was my neighborhood I didn't like. And, and I'm in a new neighborhood now, and the city's new, and I think it's a real, um, it feels to me very much like a lesson in that sometimes you just gotta like reposition yourself in order to see with different eyes. Best advice you ever got? Best advice I ever got was my old man. He said, live below your means. Live below your means, you'll always be free. Because if you can live below your means, that means you, it's the Bill Cunningham quote, you know, if you don't take their money, they can't tell you what to do. But monetary freedom, means creative freedom. So if you can take the money you make and live cheaper than that, you'll always be good. What about the worst advice you ever got? I think, uh, oh God, gosh, the worst advice I ever got. Um, I think do what you love is terrible advice. I just think it's too, I think it's too broad. I think love what you do is a little bit better. Mm -hmm. 
I think do what you love is just like one of the most, oh, oh, I know what, be yourself I think is is also, I think that's kind of one of those cliched piece of advice. I think be your best self. You know, just stick a couple of things in there, be yourself because, you know, so, sometimes like, did you, did you ever watch Chappelle show? You know, Dave Chappelle, you know, when keeping it real goes wrong. Yes. You remember that, the, you know, people <laughs> like, I keeps it real and like, but Dave Chappelle said this thing. He's like, you know, it's good to be real sometimes. It's good to be phony sometimes. Like most of civilization is like tamping down what you'd really like to do. Like your honest expression of yourself. Like I'd like to shoot everyone in this room right now. That's what, you know, but I don't know. I don't know. I've been lucky in that I've had good advice. I've had, I don't know. I'm but something that you think uh, most of us, doesn't have to be all of us, but most of us take for granted. Just the what I said before, just the cosmic, the unbelievable, um, the the randomness that had to happen for you to even be here. Have you seen the Louis C.K. bit where he's like he he, he gets on, he's sitting next to a guy on the plane, the guy gets on, he's like, hey, oh, they have internet on this plane, that's awesome. And they get up You're there. You're in a chair <laughs> in the sky. <laughs> it's like, and the internet stops working. Yeah. And he's like, what? He just gets all mad at the at the flight attendant, like, wow. Yeah. And, like you are flying through the air You're at six hundred miles an hour. Yeah, I think though. I mean that that if you look at you know universally, if you look at the great texts, the the message is the same. One day you won't be here, and so you get this. This is what you get. Whatever you believe, like right now, you get today. Like what are you going to do with it? Life is required until it's not, <laughs> and suffering is optional. I like that. I like that. I just made that up on the fly. I think the suffering That's pretty is good. I've heard before. That's but. pretty good. I I just I just think like you know today. Is I'm gonna good. watch you our get, whole show and then I'll you tweet get myself. Today. You tweet it <laughs> I just had a great <laughs> interview with Austin. My new, Here, here's my quote. Here's my new favorite thing. You get a newsletter from someone and it'll be hyper. They'll have a they'll have like a. Uh, I'm sorry if you do this, but like you'll get a <laughs> oh, newsletter no. from somebody I don't know if I want and to hear. they'll hyperlink their own text and they'll be like, "This would be good to tweet. You should tweet this." Like tweet this. Don't I don't do that. Like underline. Like here's my really great idea. You should tweet. We just live in this absurd time, you know. And I get it. I know you know it's. But but like it's just bizarre. If it, <laughs> I have a couple, this. I have a <laughs> tweet that. Tweet Here this. I'm gonna say something really smart. You should tweet right now. <laughs> Would you give me one of those just because you said not to? <laughs> tweet this. <laughs> tweet this. Uh, I don't. Have to that's pretty. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. What about if uh, is there, <laughs> with with no limits to their place in our culture, if there's someone I should talk to in this series? I got a couple of slots left. Oh man, someone you should talk to. Oh, like like around here or like or in just the universe? In the universe, it would be nice if you could connect me with them. But I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of who I could connect you to. It doesn't. It, my the my my um the person from afar who is not who I've never really I've spent a couple of hours with her, but who has been a, a huge teacher to me is the cartoonist Linda Berry. I think she is the most. I think what she's done with her career and what she's doing now and her attitude towards art making has informed me in so many ways that I can't even, um, but she's one of those people that doesn't do a lot of interviews. So, but she's, she's, she's wonderful. I'm completely blanking right now. What's the longest your hair's ever been? Oh, um, middle school, not very long. Maybe here. Yeah, here, was it 
Yeah. Bushy or bushy. Yeah. I mean, I got a, a the one thing God gave me is like a pretty decent head of hair, <laughs> and it gets big. Nice. You know, so I got to keep it pretty short. Nice. Yeah. What what haven't we talked about that we should? I don't know. We've talked about a we've, lot. We've covered a lot of ground. I. I'm know. proud of how much ground I covered. You're an amazing interview. Well, I think that you know, I the one the one piece the one piece that that I think we talked about before actually, but I, I'd like to say it again is forget about the noun. Forget about the thing you want to be. Like forget about being a great photographer. Forget about being a great writer. Forget about being a great plumber or whatever. Just think about the verb like forget that noun think about the verb behind that work take a lot of photographs write a lot of paragraphs Plum fix a lot. a lot of pipes you know like and if you can forget about that noun and being that thing and you focus on the verb instead that will take you further and it will keep more options open to you than anything else there is no better way to end an interview than right there. Okay, I'm going to go home. My man. <laughs> Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, man. It's good <clears throat> to see you. Thanks for having me on. So much gratitude. <laughs> that wraps up another episode of Chase Jarvis Live here on Creative Live, part of the 30 Days of Genius series with my man, Austin Klan. Don't forget about this here book, Heartfelt. Like, there is, you can do a lot of great work in this little piece of book right here. <laughs> All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say, A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there, as well as all the other ones. It's a super important to ask for you to share this. Also, uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.